Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers Hello and welcome to Business Line and a new edition of our State of Marketing podcast we have with us well known management thinker Shiv Shiv Kumar former chairperson and CEO of PepsiCo India and former CEO of Nokia India Also, we have Shankar Prasad, founder of D2C beauty brand Plum, which started in 2014. Interestingly, both Shiv and Shankar have Unilever Unilever in common in their resumes. In today's episode, we are going to focus on direct-to-consumer brands. During the pandemic, D2C brands were the real darling of consumers, as they were speedy, agile, and understood the consumer pulse far better than the big brands. we saw them spotting white spaces carving out new niches and engaging in the consumer in refreshing new ways they completely rewrote the marketing playbook i would say but 3 years later we find that the big brands have caught up they also have d2c models now they are also engaging with consumers in innovative new ways plus the old channels have opened up again and retailers back so now that the trump cards are gone Well, how are D2C brands doing? So let me first ask Shiv, who always has a very good bird's eye view on trends, uh, what he thinks of the D2C brands phenomena. Shiv, uh, yeah. D2C brands really stormed the market during the pandemic, but is their dominance over? What is your view? Yeah, thank you, Chitra, and uh, wonderful to be here along with uh, Shankar doing this uh, show. Uh, the first thing is. you know you mentioned that d to c brands uh, started with the pandemic yeah that's true uh, and i just want to set out uh, one thing how i see the definition of d to c a d to c brand means that you're bypassing the middleman and you do not have anything physical as an intermediary so in the pandemic you're absolutely right a lot of d to c brands came into uh, the picture but is d to c new it is not new at all it's 50 years old believe it or not chitra 50 years ago if you read the history of indian marketing the two d2c brands which were there were readers digest and bulwarker who used to send direct to the consumer okay so in a sense we are rediscovering d2c in the way people are defining it 50 years later uh, you know the manual of what readers digest as well as uh, bulwarker wrote for us if you look at d2c what happens in the past in a physical world D2C is determined by the consumer's ability to pick your advertising, the retailer's ability to pick that product or brand or SKU and keep it on a shelf, or your ability to go and see it on the shelf and take it and ask for it. Okay, so that's how it was determined. In today's world, consumers pick it off, you know, the net. It could be word of mouth, it could be friends, it could be reviews, it could be any a number of things so that's how uh, d2c is uh, defined today so i would say that uh, yes big brands are coming back in a sense what you mentioned but i don't think any brand survives if it doesn't do one basic thing which is every brand has a promise it makes to the consumer as long as you stick to the promise and you exceed that promise nobody can beat you and i think that's what you really need to think about whether you are a, you know any type of brand a brand is about a promise and never forget that that's all i would say yeah that's an important lesson there um chankar as a practicing d2c brand and a successful one at that 
your take on it because we've seen b2c brands getting acquired post pandemic because in the race to scale i think uh, and also because you know as i said the play field is more level now your take yeah. on the on the landscape today so my take is uh, there are echoes of what i think in what steve uh, just said uh, to me it's uh, first and foremost about the consumer the consumer looks for products looks for brands has needs that are met by brands Uh, that make products very simply it's a 101 or even the pre 101 of what we're talking about here and the means of doing that the means of reaching the message and the means of reaching the product to the consumer have evolved over a period of time whether it was retail that is example that you gave or uh, whether it was uh, you know telemarketing that started or you know the tv uh, shopping channels that uh, started out there there are multiple means to get to the consumer there are door to door salesmen that used to exist way back last century or very before that so it's really about the means of getting the message and the product in the into the hands of the consumer india has always been a very retail heavy and uh, that to unorganized retail heavy uh, country and that thing that continues to this day modern retail really tried to make that impact in the first decade of this uh, of this century and partly has been successful uh, but the unorganized nature of the trade has stayed i think what happened in the i would say the story is even pre pandemic what happened really in the mid uh 20 around 2013 14 era when which is when we coincidentally started out is that you know bandwidth availability on mobile phone the the cost of uh, you know bandwidth for consumption of content just plummeted thanks to handset was coming down telecom cost coming down and then it just the whole supply and demand sort of side of it both started going up the content creator started coming out marketplaces started coming out and then the brand happened uh and therefore i think what happened even pre pandemic was a lot of this was set in motion you see nike was started in 2012 uh and when we came on board nike was still small uh we we on board in nike in 2015 they were still small if i want to small but small compared to where they were are now so a lot of this was set in motion back then because of access to online uh, content being made available on the supply side as well as demand and i think what the pandemic really did was really created the acceleration phase for a lot of brands across categories and uh, to me therefore it's the story is really about consumers brands and product rather than d2c as a vertical in itself it definitely is an interesting arbitrage if i can use that word to get to the consumer but as you said the arbitrage no arbitrage exists forever it always get you know the perfect market takes over and that's what we are seeing happen the story is therefore and we like to use the term digitally native brands rather than d2c brands because as you said d2c is no longer strictly d2c we are using all kinds of platforms and marketplaces and even retail to get to. it's really about digitally native brands rather than d2c brands okay got it taking off from what you've said does digitally native or uh, direct to consumer on online platforms certain categories have done really well i mean we've seen beauty fashion food and pet care also surprisingly do very well and you are in the beauty space right this is because these categories also followed another big trend which is the rise of influencers uh did that help i mean because that was a different type of marketing again which big brands yeah. normally i mean big brands have brand endorsers and a different route but here you have yeah. micro influencers how much does that have i mean to play i think the uh, influencer is a subset of what i would call content i think if i i i live and breathe in the beauty industry so all my examples are personally or personally from the beauty space 
so if you look if you look at how for example mica uh, happened on the scene and, and and made people buy uh, makeup online uh, it was driven a lot by content initially and a lot of that content was even in house produced by nika uh, and i think the availability of bandwidth at the consumer end and hardware at the producer end made the influencers happen initially it was sort of the mega influencer and then it went all the way to you know micro nano and what not it, it, it is basically is people moving away from written material to visual content which is far more easily bite sized consumed and across languages and across sort of strata of society so you don't need to be a sort of english reader in order to be able to understand what a vitamin c syrup does to you i think the reels are doing an excellent job of educating and communicating people so definitely as you said content led by influencer has played a major role in the growth of uh, you know d2c uh, brand uh, and even and even other platforms over the last decade or so uh which in 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 a manner of speaking almost democratized access to uh, content earlier it was you know and way back i'm talking about 20 30 years back it was all tv content which required an expensive production agency and ad agency and what not to produce now that has been democratized in the hands of millions of uh, people and uh, influencers and brands so it's all sort of uh, a very different playing field if you will uh, that's happening right okay thank you ashiv uh, your take on this yeah. i mean on uh, both on the categories that will do well on d2c as well as you know have uh, have big brands big brands managed to learn something from d2c or you know the playbook changing uh, your take on that yeah the first thing i would say is i think we've had platforms before mm-hmm. uh, but there were platforms like mail order you know if you remember in the 1900s there was sears there was burlington in india you know lots of people who had mail order then you mail ordered and then it went uh, directly directly to you but that had a particularly limiting range of products and offerings uh, when you look at d2c a lot of people said direct to consumer and I'd, i would agree with uh, uh, shankar that some things have changed the way i define d2c is discovery to consumption i think that's the fundamental thing which has changed the ability of the consumer to discover the ability of the brand to make consumers discover themselves and the ability to lead from that discovery journey to a consumption journey i think that whole journey is much shorter today than it was ever before now you mentioned that you have beauty you have food you have fashion you have pet care etc if you think of what's worked and why it has worked i think the first thing is every category which needed education works very well in this type of format mm-hmm. okay beauty requires a hell of a lot of education in the past the best education we offered was an innovation which was started in calcutta shops which was the beauty assistant in the shop that was the biggest innovation which was there calcutta was the you know starting point now a lot of the big uh, you know outlets have uh, beauty assistants so education is very important second thing which is very important is can this be a subscription model i buy something regularly so why do i need to go to a retail outlet regularly to buy it a good example of that is diapers more than 42% of india's diaper sale happen online okay the reason being it's a regular item you know the baby needs it etc sanitary napkins will get there very very soon in my book the third reason why it happens is a certain degree of personalization 
So it could be because you have a niche type of a category or it is something which only you require. Maybe your skin tone is different. Your hair tone is different. Your nails are different. Your body size is different. So there's a certain degree of personalization, which not all outlets can ever carry in a physical world. Fourth reason why this works is regime. Beauty is another good example for that. When you have a particular regime, you tend to stick to a brand when you pick it and you have the whole lot which works for you. And physical space is becoming extremely costly and challenging. And hence, people are opting, even, uh, you know, uh, medium brands or whatever it is. And the last one I would say is categories which have never had any retail space like pet care. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Zero retail space. Okay. Or even uh, some degree of hardware, some degree of do-it-yourself products. Okay. Now, what happens with each of these? Because there is no outlet. You don't even know where it exists. In the pandemic, the number of pet owners increased dramatically. So obviously you needed, uh, you know, a place where you could shop and pet care online is a great option. So these are the various reasons why it has worked. And it's not that it won't work for big brands, big brands traditionally. And uh, I will cover that. If you look at the three big trends, all the big companies have consistently missed it. Okay. The smaller FMCG companies have got onto it. Television in 1984, all the big companies missed it. It was Vico Vajrayanthi and Richardson Wicks at that point of time who caught it. Okay, next is when modern trade came in, all the big companies thought that they were enemies of their business and hence didn't want to deal with them. Similarly, when digital came in, none of the big companies even woke up. So big companies have hibernation or a sleepover period when they don't do anything. And that's the time when nimble, smart brands do well and that's what also happened in the pandemic okay so is that advantage going to hold on i mean you in your uh, columns and business line the ones that forecast trends for the year have kind of hinted that b2c brands will be acquired so do you think a great big consolidation uh, consolidation is going to happen uh, so here's the thing uh if you just hear the narrative of uh, big consumer companies and their leaders. Uh, they're feeding you a lot of gullible stuff which media picks up and doesn't even challenge. All these people have told you, we have split India into 11, we split India into 10 to read better habits, etc. It's absolute, you know, absolutely wrong. Let me explain why. There are no 10 types of oil based on different country uh, country needs. There are no 10 types of soap. There are no 10 types of blends. Okay, It's the same product. When an FMCG company tells you we've split the country into 10, they have done it to break spam. They've done it to get better execution. Nothing to do with consumer habit and consumption of product. That is where the big difference is right now, thanks to what I call the discovery and the consumption of the D2C model. Now you can actually service any niche in any part of the country. So irrespective of the number of pin codes you have, you can target a product for that. And in a way, the government has done that already by doing the one district, one product. Okay, That platform is possibly the best platform where people will discover their district's product and the 700 odd districts in India will with ONDC and everything else pick up that uh, product category uh, later on. 
So my own uh, thing to you would be again I go back. If a brand is good, if a brand you know delivers, consumers will always center around that brand. And the economics of the brand and the economics of running that brand and the economics of buying that brand will then determine whether D2C stays or doesn't stay. Yeah, that makes sense. Shankar, what about you? I mean, uh, a lot of your contemporaries in search of scale have uh, kind of, uh, you know, joined hands or partnered with big brands. So what do you see? uh, I mean, how do you see this playing out? Because scale is important at the end of the day. The way I see it is, uh, and you'll see it even in uh, in Western market, uh, which sort of portal what happens, not always, but in many ways, portal what happens in markets like us. You need a certain minimum scale in order to be able to, you know, do certain things. For example, make minimum production batches, you know, afford certain types of agencies, afford certain types of supply chain, let's say, uh, capabilities, uh, get some weightage in the retailer's mind, for example. So these are all some things which are important. Uh, and I would say broadly the number that I would put there in terms of a, a minimum scale, I'm sort of sticking my neck out here, but I'll do that nonetheless, is about 100 to 150 crores. If, if you're if you getting to 100, 150 crore number annually in terms of revenue, uh, you're probably getting into the zone where you are past the minimum scale requirement uh, along the dimensions that I mentioned. After that, it is a matter of choice, if you ask me. If you if you run your shop well, then you are probably, you know, you'll probably grow the 150, let's say, into a 200, 225 in three to five years time. You're probably, if you're running it well, you're probably doing a 15, 20, 25% EBITDA, depending on how well you run it. That's good uh, economics for somebody to run a business. Now, the question that happens is twofold. I mean, is, is it the sole founder who is sort of build it up to a 200 crores? In most cases, not. There are VC funds and other types of investors who are part of this cap table. And therefore, uh, they will have prerogatives in terms of uh, exit and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is not a story of, okay, I scale it to 200 and then just continue to turn along a 10-15% growth every year after that and suck out uh, you know 10% fat margin uh, for the founder to take home. Uh, it's not... Unfortunately, that in the West, a lot of brands are still like that. Out here, unfortunately, because of the way the capital markets are structured, because the way, for example, lending is a problem to smaller businesses, now VCs have filled in the gap, uh, which is not necessarily bad. But what it also means is that there is a churn on the cap table, uh, which is induced right from the word go by design almost. And therefore, you see a lot of these uh, M&As happening. That's number one. Number two, Realistically speaking, how many brands are making a 15, 20, 25% EBITDA beyond 200 crores, which the number is a handful. Uh, several of them are profitable, uh, but they are not self-sustainingly profitable yet. Uh, it will be a few more years before they become that, and that includes us. Uh, the reality is you don't have brands today which fit the criteria that I just described in order to be able to exist independently. Then comes the question, of, okay, so what happens? Uh, what happens then is uh, you have m and is happening, you have uh, consolidation, you have house of brands happening. Uh, so these are all you know, ways and means for us to answer the question of what happens once you reach a certain minimum scale. Uh, but again, I'll go back to, and I, I think it resonates so well with what you were saying, if the brand is delivering on what it is promising, it is promising something that people value, then you will find whether it is part of a house, whether it is on your own, whether it is as a PCP invested company, you will continue to find 
reason to exist and a very very good reason to exist and a very very good reason for your shareholders who were they are to support your uh, existence independently and i think that is what brands need to come to wow i would it, add uh, yeah, chitra sure. to this mm-hmm. that if you, if you look at the situation you need capital mm-hmm. okay when you are a, a startup or whatever you are doing you need capital you need good people and you need a certain capability in that category of where you are operating if that is attractive then a big brand will over a point of time or a big company will want to pick you for the people and the capability not for the capital because the big company will always have capital okay that's the first point second and a very important point i want to make is that all these new brands what i call the discovery to consumption brands all these new brands must behave like small brands uh, behave like small brands means be very frugal with your money okay mercilessly attack the market and the leader like a gorilla that's when you will do very well unfortunately what you see today and i wrote this for you is that a lot of the small brands are behaving like big brands mm. and that is a fundamental mistake they are making when they behave like a big brand when they throw economics out of the window all they are interested in is blowing up money in order to acquire customers etc that is never a you know a slope which is last which is which will ever last or is lasting so small brands must behave like small brands small brands must look big in consumers mind but not waste money okay that comes by being a thought leader in the niche that you truly attack okay this is a very valuable lessons for small brands here i think you know uh, this also i mean i think i'll also since we are running out of time let me get to the final question which is on you know everybody is worried about the economic climate and the inflation kind of inflationary pressures which are there big brands are still okay you know but typically i mean d2c brands uh, which are in the marketplace most of their products are premium they have because they ride on digital they buy in very nature uh, premium do you think that uh, inflationary climate is going to affect the small brands or the d2c brands more than the big brands and there has to be a uh, and will there be a pricing strategy we think this question is open to both of you again if i if i talk about the beauty industry we see a uh, uh, prestige brands have existed in the beauty industry forever right so and i'm talking of a jar of cream for anywhere upwards of 3000 5000 6000 rupees such brands have existed forever now and they continue to exist now at the mass end of the scale what we have seen happen is the mass brands have also been compelled to increase pricing or drop grammage uh, in order to maintain margins uh, which has been consistently happening over the last several quarters i see that it is sort of uh, slowing down a little bit now but it is definitely what goes up in pricing never often comes down it probably stays the same so what that has meant is brands like us which are in the middle uh, actually are offering a lot of value so to be very specific let's say a tube of face wash today is probably 150 rupees give or take even from a mass brand that is operating is no longer at a 70 80 rupees now we are let's say at a 350 rupees or 299 rupees what we are talking about is not a huge gap in terms of the pricing i am not talking 1000 rupees for a tube of face wash we are talking uh within the 100 rupees now if you look at uh, somebody that was chatting with mentioned a very beautiful point the other day that an auto rickshaw ride in mumbai is probably 100 rupees a pizza ordering for two is probably 600 700 rupees which lasts half an hour of you know uh, consumption whereas a face wash you buy 
it's probably a month to six weeks of good facial glow that you are getting and taking care of your skin. So we really see the equation when it comes to beauty, especially at a price point of four, five, six hundred rupees. It still makes a lot of sense to the consumer for the quality. Of course, you have to offer quality at four hundred rupees. I can't offer the same on one fifty rupee product at four hundred and expect that you will pay the premium for it. Uh, if I'm able to offer the value at four hundred rupees consistently, then there is definitely uh, a play. I don't think the economic climate is. forcing people to down trade people typically these are the last things that people down trade as long as you offer value that's my no but uh, is is beauty yeah. an essential product i mean would you in if you're if you're only going to put <laughs> essentials would they sacrifice yeah. the beauty product is it now getting into the essential category okay so two things it is in in, in certain cases it is getting into essentials categories for example take sunscreen right now, a lot of people Are now thinking sunscreen is an essential. Well, by the way, it is. Once you are into the uh, habit of consuming beauty products and you see the upside of that, uh, chances are you will continue to watch it as essential. That on the one is on the consumer side. On the economic side, thankfully, and I'm touching wood here, we are not in a situation where people are having to cut out things from their menu yet. Hopefully, we've seen the worst of inflation and seen the worst of. All macroeconomic shocks uh, that that COVID and everything has unleashed. So, you know, if you look at the consumer story as far as India goes, I I still don't see uh, a major uh, press point as I see it, and I'm really hope here that I'm right. That we move here, nobody can predict the future. But even as we stand today, we don't see that problem. A, a lot of the problem happens when you are not able to offer value at the price point that you are looking to command, and okay. there even we have had to take corrections. Okay, great. I think uh, it's very reassuring to hear from a marketer that you don't see uh, a problem at this point. Shiv, your take on? Yeah, I would in- say that in any economic system, you'll mm-hmm. always have wastage in the system. Okay, let me give you one category. Let's take apparel. Apparel boys are and boys and girls are consistently running end of season sale, end of reason sale, all kinds of things. More than twenty-five percent of their product or merchandise of the year is consistently on sale. Forty percent off, fifty percent off, buy three, buy two, etc. So, if you look at that category, they have trimmed down the discounts and ensured that they have tried to stay profitable at whatever level they are. Okay, so that's one. Second is whenever you are in a jam, I think the middleman also is smart enough. Whether it's a big company or a small company, if you're using physical retail. he knows which brands move and those brands is willing to take a lower margin as long as it's moving fast it's only when a brand doesn't sell that he wants higher margins as a result of which your margins get squeezed again and again the third one i would say is revenue management is very very basic in a digital world very basic revenue management in a large company is about pack price schedule is having variants and things like that in a digital world you can adjust your price almost every hour you can adjust it in the morning you can adjust it in the afternoon and you can actually find out demand occasions demand consumption moments and trigger your pricing for that and that's the only way that you can manage it so that's what i would say in fact the tools of managing pricing are favoring today's you know uh, discovery to consumption brands more than ever before in the past if you wanted to change a price on a product category it would take you a month or two months before that price hit in the market today it's almost instantaneous 
And I think that's how you should think about it. Wow. Dynamic pricing. We only yes. heard that in hotels. Hotels and airlines. Mm -hmm. now airlines, the, absolutely. Now you have that in FMCG, that potential. Yes. To sum up, I think uh, direct to consumer or uh, as Shiv has coined this new term, discovery to consumption brands have kind of totally uh, given us a new playbook. And I mean, it's pretty exciting what's going on here. Uh, I think there's also, there's so many strands worth exploring, which we need to probably revisit again in another discussion. So thank you so much, Shiv. And thank you so much, Shankar, for this very uh, interesting discussion. Thank you, Shankar and Chitra. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.